Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it is a great privilege, as always, to be able to spend a time each Wednesday in the study of the Word with not only my local congregation, but all of the Saints Network family who we're blessed to be aligned with, not only here in our country, but around the world. So we greet all of you, and, and I truly want to thank the Lord for not only this privilege, but for the wonderful opportunity of sharing it with you. And most importantly, all of us are extremely grateful to our Heavenly Father, <clears throat> who continues to speak <clears throat> to us and um, causes his word to come alive. That is what the scriptures describe as somewhat of a rhema experience. We all know this, but since we will be mentioning rhema in our message here in just a moment, let me, allow me to clarify the difference between a rhema and a logos word. Very simply put, the logos is what God has written in his word. The logos is, in a, in a broader expanse, what God has intended from the foundation of the world, and it is the, the rock-solid set of God's divine agenda and his everlasting promises. Now that, just in a thumbnail definition, is a, a logos. And that factor has come under attack in it had, over the years, uh, you've seen it under attack, but I don't believe it has suffered as much as what we've been seeing over the past 10 years. Just the, the absolute disdain for the Word of God by so many people in the world and so many who ought to know better in the church nitpicking, trying to defame it, trying to disqualify it, or most recently, trying to say that demonic doctrines and those of uh, other civilization uh, religions, which are basically either the thoughts of men or those thoughts that are influenced by the demonic, that those are equal to God and that God is really in all of those thoughts. And that is a very dangerous thing, very dangerous and uh, extremely, uh, extremely central to the enemy's agenda in our world today. And, you know, I, I look at uh, what the book of Revelation tells us and where it says that those that are battling against the enemy and his devices in the very end of time 
will overcome the enemy by basically three factors. The first is uh, the word, the logos, being committed to that. Secondly, uh, being willing to die uh, for whatever it is that God has asked you to do. And I don't mean to have a morbidity injected here. You know, we, the Apostle Paul said, we die daily, and we do. We should be a martyrio, a testimony on behalf of what God has called us to be. And by that, we die to self, we die to the flesh, we should die to our own agendas. Um, and so to say uh, we, uh, we are, are willing to be a testimony on behalf of the Word that doesn't necessarily mean that our head is on the chopping block, although that will be part of the end-time stratagem of the enemy. But um, so many people who say, hey, I'm willing to die for the Lord, um, don't have any desire to die to self every day. It's just true. And I say that generically, but it's just true. I, and I would suggest that uh, you can say all you want about being willing to stand and uh, give your life for the Lord, but if, if you're not giving your life every day for His purpose, and by that I mean if you're not submitting yourself and dying to self daily, then I really strongly question whether you would be willing to give your physical body at some unforeseen point in the, in, the, in the future. So the logos and the commitment to it are vital to our victory, and the enemy knows that. And of course, the third part of that in the book of Revelation is uh, by the power of the blood. And I would say uh, the, the application of the sprinkling of the blood is imperative. And um, we're not teaching on that today, but uh, we need to recognize that the blood of Jesus does not stop in its use and in its efficacy simply because we take that essential step of being forgiven of our sins and washed by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, if We must recognize how important it is to walk under the covering of the blood of Jesus and to, uh, by, by the directives of Scripture, learn how to obediently apply the sprinkling of the blood in our walk and our service. But the point for us is that we need to know the Word and we need to recognize that this Word, not one jot or tittle of it, will pass away. It, it is from the Lord. Yes, we can go back through and argue about canonicities and we can say that perhaps... You know, this one codex or this one copy had uh, a, a variant in its translation, or we could say that when we study into the deeper things of the, the original languages that a translation here may have been better said to be this way or as, as opposed to uh, what is actually written. I'm gonna I won't quibble about those things. And, and the fact that you can you can knowledgeably recognize those things does not discredit the Scripture. It does not discredit it. I, I mean, 
I, I, I am amazed at the gymnastics that many in the progressive movement use to try to twist or to disallow or disavow the vitality of Scripture. And um, there's going to be an answer for that. that. I can tell you that. If, if you start discrediting the eternal word and agenda of God, you are going to answer for that. But that's not my topic for today. What is the topic for the day is that we need to recognize the power of the written word and how it aligns with the divine agenda from the foundation of the world. But in the midst of that, the Spirit of God will cause certain passages of the living word to come alive at a certain point. Now, that's not a good term. To be highlighted by the Spirit for a specific moment, for a specific point of walking. And those are rather a loose definition, those would be called rhema words. And so it's wonderful to be able to study the logos of the Word of God today with you, but also to recognize that I believe God has shined his rhema light on what we're going to be looking at today. So, What we're going to do as a point of study is we are going to consider the times in the book of John when Jesus uh, is encountered by the concept of asking, and particularly the type of asking that is clarified by the Greek word Aiteo, A-I-T-E-O. And we have studied about this in the past. I, I wrote a small book about it, which probably needs to be greatly embellished and, and um, added to. The, the, the beauty of Aiteo, and, and then, of course, a derivation of it, Aitema, which is what is said to be petitions in the New Testament, is that Iteo is something that is entrusted to people who are serving in close, in close measures of obedience someone of a higher authority. You don't just Iteo, uh, just because you think, well, bless God, I need this, so I'm, I'm going to pluck this scripture out and I'm going to ask. Uh, if you are not walking in a measure of relationship that is uh, devoted to something that the Heavenly Father has given you to do, and you are in continual contact with Him, and you are serving him in that. That's the context from which Iteo finds itself. And, um, you know, there are a lot of other words that are translated as prayer. 
Uh, we've studied them. We will continue to study them. It is not confusing. But when you find Iteo, you need to recognize that this is a point of service term. It is for those that are walking before God in a, a dedicated measure of service. Maybe you could align this with um, the type of revelation and asking that is part of uh, supplication. I think that this really does prophetically align with the Old Testament uh, measure of supplication and then asking God, which is depicted in the dedication of the temple narrative. But then you come into the New Testament and you see that God in grace expands the, the understanding of that asking and it, it, it has a supplication which is really partnering with God in the burden of what he wants to do as a co-laborer, that kind of praying. It's not begging God. It's being aligned with God. And then God gives you insights, which are prosuke. He gives you things that he wants to do, and you begin to, through his spirit, and through that time spent with him, begin to form the, the idea of what the mind of Christ is wanting to do. And then from that, you, you begin to ask God. You begin to speak things into being. But it's through that process. It's not just, well, bless God, I've got authority, and I think I'd like to have this, so I'm just going to commence to ask. Well, I'm, God hears that, and, you know, I, I'm not saying that that is without efficacy. But the main measure of power and authority is granted by virtue of you being spending time with God, knowing, recognizing what is on God's heart, and you partnering with that. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, and he will add what you need, but your asking should be more in, uh, akin to calling forth those things that be not as though they were in accordance with God's righteous vision. And what God, as Abraham was, is speaking to you from the right hand of the throne, and your agenda in prayer should be aligned with that type of relationship. And your asking should be, should be there. So all of you saints are going to have the privilege of doing a Bible study today. And... I would encourage you to get whatever Bible program you use and fire it up. And we're going to look at how Jesus used this Iteo. And one of the things that I find lovely about the book of John is that the Lord in the book of John really leads his disciples through a point of development that extends into the time basically surrounding the Last Supper and then leading into 
Gethsemane and then his sacrifice at the cross. So you, you get a picture there in John of the Lord trying to instruct his disciples about the end of his three and a half years of ministry on earth and what he came to engender in them and how he was, what his objectives were and what they then should expect to do in their service of God the Father. It's very important to recognize this. And so we're going to begin in John 11, verse 22. And here we have the, the time when Lazarus had died, and Lazarus was in the tomb, and Mary and Martha, his sisters, are mourning his apparent passing, and he did die. And so Martha comes, and in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, but I know that even now, whatever you will ask, I tell, of God, God will give it to you. In this, Martha and she and her sister Mary knew the Lord very well. She recognized that the Lord was serving the will of the Father. She recognized that he was a, about the Father's business. She recognized that he wasn't just in any way serving himself and that he had an unusual relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that in that, if he were to iteo, things would happen. She had watched this. She had observed it. She knew it to be true. And she really signifies the vitality of the usage of this type of asking when observed in the life and ministry of the Son of God on behalf of the will of the Heavenly Father. Here she depicts it. And I think that is a very interesting observance of, um, of how Jesus ministered and what Martha had seen for herself. And so I think that's very interesting for us to discover. So now, if you have your Bible open and you're functioning in whatever your study tool is, whether it's Olive Tree or whether it's Logos or whether it's Uncle Joe's nickel and dime study program. I don't know what it is, but you should be able, if you have the Strong's Connect, to click on Ask there, and um, that's in verse 22, and 
initiate a search of where ITEO is used, and you'll find it pop up and go to this place in John 11, and then follow with me to the next times it's used in John. That's where we're studying today. We have done a deeper study of Iteo throughout the New Testament in the past, so you should know this. But we're just looking at what Jesus did in John as he was preparing his disciples for his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection and ascension. Okay? So very clearly, Luke, John 11, verse 22, click on Ask, you'll see Iteo, and then do the study, the, the search, and let's go then to John 14. John 14, verses 13 and 14. I'm using, I've already done this study this morning, and I, you can hear the rustling of the leaves. I've got my Bible here up in the booth open. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Um, okay, now let's look at verse 12, too. Jesus says, uh, If you believe on me, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. We've studied a number of, uh, of uh, aspects of this verse. We see that Jesus is going to his Father. We see that uh, the way that Jesus worked, we're supposed to do as well. And greater works, this is a maison from, from Megas, uh, and we studied about this as a power word in the New Testament, and it means to, as you have stood where God calls you to, start, to serve, um, you will spread out in the, the Megas. You will spread out in the um, in the in the the reach from where you where you're planted, and you expand out from that. It it goes off of a similar understanding of the Old Testament, standing in the gap and then break through parets and parats. So Jesus says, because I'm going to the Father, you're going to serve in the way I did before the Father. And you're going to be able to reach areas in God's plan for you that I didn't go and reach. The same principles, the same type of relationship are yours, but you're going to do greater works. Your works are going to, you know, for instance, Jesus, while he was walking on earth, didn't, didn't, he made the way for this, but he didn't walk the streets of Dallas, Texas. It wasn't a city at that point. We have that privilege now. We're called to serve here. And so hopefully we're expanding the kingdom and welcoming the kingdom here. That's the greater works. In verse 13, Whatever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That is where he was with them at that time. 
That's the same thing that Martha, just a few chapters earlier, testified about. And, and he says, you know, I, I'm, if you will believe on me, if you will be ready to know the Father when I have made that possible for you, um, this is what you'll do. But right now, if you ask, I tell anything of me in my name, in, in that conjunction on behalf of what the Father is doing through me, and what the Father has called me to do, and subsequently what you should be learning, I'll do it. That's interesting because that really does show what we are supposed to be doing now and how we're supposed to be patterning what what this work and ministry is for those that would be disciples under our charge. And, you know, the Lord said, go into all the world and teach and make disciples. We are supposed to be training as saints others to walk as saints, and we're doing our best to do that. But as a part of that is this business of asking. But you cannot separate it from doing the works as of a son, uh, serving in the place that God has called us to serve, and doing what he's called us to do. But then, let's then look at verse 16 of that same, um, of, of, no, um, excuse me. So we've looked at John 11, and then we've looked at John 14. Now we're going to go to John 15, verses 7 and 8. This is the wonderful passage that speaks about the vine and abiding in the vine. And everybody uh, in the past has gotten warm and fuzzy feelings and goosebumps about how wonderful it is to abide. Well, we've studied about what it means to abide. Yes, there is close proximity, but that is meno, and that means that you are standing. You are, you are being faithful to stand with him. Hupomeno means that you demonstrate patience in the midst of your standing. And, and yes, there is um, loving the Lord and knowing him and sharing the intricacies of his heart. Yes, that's there. But if you're, it's lover and warrior. You're going to feel that with him. He's there with you in your terio. But you're going to have to stand. You're going to have to demonstrate in your human capacity, welcoming the kingdom on earth under the power of the cross that you've established as the Father has sent you there. That's what abiding is. If you travel through wine country, Napa Valley, or even some places in Texas, if you're privileged to go through the beautiful country of France and see the the amazing vineyards near Bordeaux or even in the Rhone Valley. or And you, you see it. It is, it is not just loosey-goosey. Oh, let's just make some wine. Let's, let's grow some, some vineyard grapes. It is, it is systematic. It is beautiful. It is thriving. But it is established. Everything is in order. 
you can look at it and you marvel at how year after year, particularly those, those French people who learned how to make the, the most wonderful wines in the world, they're not messing around. They're not just sitting around under a tree smoking weed and drinking wine. It is a business, and they, they do that work. So if you're abiding in the vine, and you're wanting the new wine and the old wine, it's, yes, it's a fellowship. Yes, it's a family business. Yes, it's wonderful to know the love of the Lord. But when Jesus is talking about abiding in the vine here, God, God is a vineyard person. He's a husbandman. He, you can see how he judges those who don't do what they're supposed to do in the places that he has um, assigned them to do that work. They start doing their own thing. They're going to answer for it. That's just in the word. You ought to read it sometime. Oh, pastor, you're being so mean. We just want to love the Lord and abide in him. Well, <laughs> they know what the word means. Don't, don't be like the progressives and say, well, this is what we want to do. This is what our agenda is. So we'll try to make the scriptures say that. Or if, if, there's, a, if there's a passage that is just, just absolutely adamantly against what we're trying to do, we'll try to discredit it and remove it. Or we'll try to bolster it with other miscreant doctrines and say, well, this scripture says this, but if you look at what this monk over somewhere in some mountain area worshiping Buddha says, well then, oh yes, now we see what he really meant. Uh-uh. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Here we have Rhema. Rhema. So it's speaking about God giving you insights, God giving you things from his scripture that are illuminated in a unique way for an application in that moment. And if that's happening, if you're committed in your standing, you're doing the work of the Father, and you, um, you are hearing what he's saying, you can ask, I tell what you will, and it will be done unto you. Verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you be my disciples. Here we see Jesus beginning to talk about their responsibility. So it went from Martha describing how she saw Jesus move and her confidence in that. We then see that he says, the ultimate objective is for you to be partnering with the Father but right now I'm with you and you know that whatever you ask of me, I will do it if you ask in my name or what God has given me authority to do and what I'm supposed to be representing. Now the Lord begins to talk about our responsibility through him of being, um, being those branches. I am the vine, verse 5, you are the branches. And if you are going, if you abide in me, if you go where I've called you to grow into, you're doing the same work as I am, but now you're establishing 
those places in the greater works. And if you're doing that, and the Lord God is highlighting rhema words and showing you things that uh, you need to be believing for on behalf of the ongoing pursuit of his will, then you ask, you iteo, and it'll be done. Herein is my Father glorified. There will be a demonstration of what God's eternal purpose is, that you bear fruit, and so you will really show that you've learned what I've taught you and you are disciples. Isn't that great? Now, there's a lot of other agape words and abiding words. Those are good to study, but you cannot separate them from two things. What we just talked about and what agape really means, that you are breathing hard after the purpose of God. Amen? So, let's look at verse 16. We continue there in, in chapter 15 of John in our Iteo study. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. What's that mean? God and his Son, the Lord Jesus, they're one, have issued a divine identity to you from the foundation of the world. They offer that calling to you. You're unique. You have been called to do things that are unique for the Father. And then God has given you giftings, capacities, that in some ways may be similar to other people, but they are unique. That unique blend of God's investment into you, that seed of God's investment in conjunction with what your eternal calling is, that's what God has given. So, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. This is our friend, ordained, is Tetheme. Remember? It's the seed. It's where the tithe, the, the tithe comes from this. It's, it's the seed of what God wants to cause to grow in you. It's in conjunction with the heavenly thesaurus. So here's Jesus saying, you have a unique identity from the foundation of the world. I was there in the Father as this was being um, imagined by him, put forward by him. And you today have this calling and this unique set of skills and capacities. And the reason you've been given them, verse 16, we continue, is that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Here we go again. That whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And these things I command you that you love one another, that you agape one another, that you make sure that you are aligned with people who are serving the same purpose. 
It's not an exclusivity. It's not a we're better than anybody else. It's just knowing, okay, I have a divine identity from the foundation of the world. I'm called to be a son. I'm called to be an intercessor. I am called to stand where God has called me to stand. And with that, I need to make sure that those that God has populated around me that are serving in the same way, doing the same thing, doing the same work, that I invest that agape mutually with them, that we're all breathing after the same purpose. Where two or three agree, there's a measure of agreement. And, you know, it's that old saying in the natural, if you shoot for everything, you hit nothing. Uh, you, you have faith. You, you, you're in alignment with what God has called you to do. And you better know those who labor among you. You love everybody. But agape, those that are called to serve alongside you and cherish that. I feel sorry for those who, through iniquity or through jealousy or through some other E, they just break off and say, I'm going after my own thing. Being in alignment with this vineyard of the Lord has held me back. So I'm going to break off my, my root here and I'm going to go plant that somewhere else. And we ask God to bless it. Well, don't try to say you're Abraham. Abraham had to leave. Well, Lot left too. What happened to him? Demas left too and used his agape in this present world. What happened to him? Uh, yes, there is expansion. But it better be in God's way and in God's timetable because if you don't do that, it's before the Lord. I, I can't, I'm not going to say. But the best thing is to stay where God has called you to serve and to expand with those that God has called you to serve in this same vineyard. And we've seen that happen uh, as we've done this, before the Lord, God has expanded this by his spirit, this calling of the saints throughout the world. We've seen it happen in so many people groups, in so many people of various colors and, and uh, people that only God could have connected us with. So it's not us four and no more. We're we're stuck here in this little corner of glory land. And I mean, we do what we're supposed to do. And God opens the world. And he has done that and he continues to do it. So I digress. Let's look then, according to your study, and it should be saying, John 16, verses 23 through 27. Okay, we ready? In that day, you will not ask me anything. You shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, 
and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time comes when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from God. Here Jesus says to this point in his walk with them, they have not known this type of relationship with the Father. In fact, they've not been able to ask him anything in, in an Iteo way. It's all flowed through Jesus. But now he's saying, because I am about to go to my Father, my agenda all along was to pattern for you this walk of sonship to show you how to ask in conjunction with that sonship, to show you how powerfully this demonstrates the kingdom. And now because I go to my father, you will have the privilege of knowing him and asking him. Amazing, isn't it? It's, it's just amazing. So you're asking the Father in Jesus' name. Now, the church has taken this outside of the understanding of what Iteo really means and just thought that you could ask anything you want. And as long as you sign Jesus' name at the end of it, brother, you got it. I've heard it preached. It's like a blank check. You just fill in whatever you want and you sign Jesus' name, and in the bank of heaven, that is cashed. People have asked for all kinds of crazy things. In Jesus' name. What does Jesus' name really mean? Well, first of all, his name means deliverer, but it it is a name beyond any name. It's a beautiful name. I'm not discrediting the name of Jesus, but what does name mean? Name is an authorization. Name is uh, something that has been released to you, a measure of authority to you. So all through this, we have seen that Jesus was patterning what it was to be a son before the Heavenly Father. We've, we've, we've watched this. And now, when we say in Jesus' name, of course the name of Jesus is glorious in itself. But the authorization of that name cannot be separated from the overall plan for God's vineyard and for how he wants to use you as a disciple of Jesus and in making disciples. So it's not just the name itself, people fling around as if it's some magic word. But the name of Jesus is that wonderful partnership with the Father that the Lord gave himself that you might be redeemed into. Now, there you have it. That's Iteo in the book of John. And it goes from Martha's observation 
to Jesus speaking about how he was patterning this walk for his disciples, and and if they needed something at that point, they would ask of him, and he would do it. And then it talks about the uh, the the position in the vineyard and doing the greater works, and uh, abiding, and the rhema, and how then that triggers the the asking and the doing. And then later in John 15, 16, you see the identity of each of those people that they've been chosen from the foundation of the world and they've been gifted by God, ordained or tethemed. And then if they ask the Father in Jesus' name, uh, it will be done. That's what Jesus was leading them up to. And then John 16, you know, you hitherto, uh, you've not asked anything in my name. Uh, you're not going to be asking me anymore. You're going to ask the Father. That's what Jesus said. For what purpose? Anything you fancy? Or is it in alignment with your mission before God? There it is. That's the Iteo Road in John. Now, I want to tell you a little bit of a story, and I don't want anybody to get antsy over this, or I certainly don't want to inspire somebody to go out looking for these kinds of things. But the other day, I was, well, last week, last week, I'll make this short. The Lord, as I was praying, brought to my thinking a very powerful woman of God that we as the Saints Network know. And we're, we value the wonderful things that God did through her during her time of being among us. She classifies that as being mentored. And she classifies me as being used in an apostolic way of mentoring her in her ministry in some way. Now, that's her opinion. I didn't say that. But I can see how that could be. But we haven't seen or heard from her in a long time. And uh, But last week, the Lord brought her to my mind. And I had a vision of certain things that God was wanting to do. And I just prayed. And I released those things. I did not write to her. I did not say, oh, sister, I saw you in this. I didn't feel God wanted me to do it. As an intercessor and in an apostolic way, I wanted to bless her. And it was because God brought her to mind and showed me a vision. It's none of your business what that vision was. So I just prayed. And I blessed her. I blessed her family. I blessed her ministry. I asked God to strengthen bring vitality and health and restoration to her, whatever way she needed it. And then I was done. I didn't dote on it. I didn't think anything more about it, honestly, until two days ago when I was here in the sanctuary praying. And, you know, I keep my phone nearby in case the Lord 
brings a verse to me or I hear something in the Spirit and I need to look at that Scripture. I don't rush to it. I certainly don't keep my phone nearby so I can keep texting all my buddies who don't give a rip whether I'm praying or not. We need to be really careful about having that device close because it interrupts a lot of private time before the Lord. Now I'm meddling and not teaching. But I heard a scripture and I picked up the phone and I already had the Bible program up and I went to it and ding! Right then, a text from this woman of God came. And she said to me that the Lord had shown her that I needed to apply what John 16 said. She hasn't had any of the teaching on Iteo. Maybe she studied it for herself. She didn't mention it. But she said, I felt very strongly that the Father wants you to ask for something. Something that he is waiting for you to ask that will, um, these are my words, that will absolutely amaze you. It's beyond anything you've known. And I thought, I haven't heard from her in years now. And I prayed for her last week. And now this. And so, of course, I, in an obligatory way, I wrote back and thanked her and asked how she was doing. And I waited till after prayer time. I didn't let it interrupt my prayer time. And, you know, we had some nice pleasantries. I didn't talk to her about this first. I didn't say it. I just said, thank you. Of course, I had to send a picture of Levi. Just, just in fairness, I had to do it. And, um, of course, then that necessitated pictures of her grandson, who, grandsons who we've prayed over and loved, and we bless those young men. So I was studying that night. This was two days ago. And I said, I, I read this verse. I'm just going to tell you, I know this Iteo. I know what it means. But... I, as I was reading it, I said, Father, what do you want me to ask for? I, I don't need anything. You've blessed me. I mean, you know, it, it's almost like that Aladdin's lamp thing. Please don't say I'm associating. I'm just saying. I mean, if you ever heard that story, uh, Aladdin's lamp. And when you were a kid, and yet three wishes, you, you probably have thought, what would I wish for? What would I ask for? Now, again, I know that represents a demon. I'm not, I'm not advocating that, so cleanse your mind of that. But my first thought was, I know that she heard from you. I know that you've sent this to me. It's like a rhema to me. And I can't shake it, but I don't know what to ask for. And then I remembered, as I, I quickly did this, what we just looked at here, John, and I recognized, yeah, this is our mission. This is the saint's mission. 
And it, it extrapolates out a lot of other things in the Scripture. But this is basically it. We're sons. We're serving God at his throne. And it's that your joy may be full. And I remembered our study of the joy of the Lord and how that really means that your joy, the joy that was set before Jesus, was that he was fulfilling the will of the Father. And that's the greatest joy of all, that we would serve our Father and do what he's asked. That's the joy of the Lord. Gideon, the joy of the Lord. Um, And I thought, well, yeah, that's what... I'm not trying to be noble here. I'm not trying to be Solomon-like, who God said, ask anything. And he asked for wisdom. That was the best thing he could ask for. And so it dawned on me that all this discussion about sonship and the vineyard and abiding in the vine and how we ask the Father and it's done, I'll just be really honest with you here. I didn't ask for anything else, but I did ask that the Father would open the doors that you and I are called to go through as saints. I asked that he would show us the perfect timings and that he would cause us to have a breakthrough anointing, to go forth with him, with him at the head, into the places that he's called us to serve. I asked him that he would cause there to be a great influx of his spirit, of his presence, that in the midst, and it's already beginning to happen in a wonderful way, Our prayer times have just been rich and so sweet in the presence of the Lord. But I ask him that as we go into new places or if we go to to visit an established sonship in, in new points of growth, that his presence would fill the place. That it's kind of like with Joshua. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. But with that, that his presence would fill the place, that it would just be there and that it would touch the people, that whether they accept him or not, that God's presence would undeniably be there. Now, I know, I remember when we first started in that honeymoon period, the Spirit of the Lord was so good to us and so many people were activating for the first time and God was doing things that he would do when something is first happening, like the dedication of the temple. But then we had a responsibility to grow, to search for him. And just in all fairness, it's very difficult to really search for God when he hides his face if you've got that dynamic atmosphere like you had when you were being born. You got to grow, you got to develop, and I, and I knew that when we first went out and visited different parts of the world, that it was important for us to um, to take along a team of intercessors. I called them fuelers, so that they could be there, patterning what it meant to intercede, and 
to impart to intercessors. That was so important. But, you know, um, there were times then that we would go out two by two or sometimes two or three, and we would deliver the message and some people would be touched, but we didn't have that big group and the excitement of the momentum wasn't there. And I would say, Father, we did what you said to do. We, we, we can't just bring 30 or 40 people everywhere we go. We can't take 12 or 13. That's expensive, and we've got a lot of places to go. But if there's just two or three, and you're ministering to 500, you don't have those fuelers knocking, knocking, knocking it out of the park in their own intercession. We need your presence to come upon people. And so, and I know what it's like when you're, I remember one time in Brazil, we were at a church that was just wonderful church. We have good fellowship with them. But we were trying to minister diversities of tongues, and there were hundreds of people out there who, many of them weren't even speaking in tongues and we're going through that crowd laying hands on people, and I'm thinking, this is like hoeing rocks. But we obeyed. But it was hard. In a gift that God has given us, diversities of tongues capacity, and we had a top-flight team there. But I'm sure God was doing something. There, was, there were factors of warfare going on in the spirit. But it was hard slugging. I remember many times in France, we would have what we call the Holy Ghost car wash. And we'd have a team of people and people would be moving through that line. And the, the French people, bless their heart, are so responsive. They're wonderful folks. And the presence of the Lord was just moving among them. You know, you can't shortchange the power of momentum or the power of other people being touched. And then that kind of says, well, look at them. I'm going to get in on this. But if you've got a couple of people and you're ministering the word as God is directed and uh, those people don't know what's going on and they don't have uh, 10 people around them moving and bobbing and weaving and shaking, and it's, it's hard so I asked God, my Father, for his presence in a way beyond anything we've known, in a way that was different, commensurate with what we must have to do this work where he's leading us, that if there are two or three that the Lord himself would be in the midst and that the presence of God would be there. Whether people accept or not, that's their business. But, you know, Jesus patterned that. He could be working miracles and you'd have people that were... He could be ascending and the Bible says there were many who doubted. And I thought about that. You're seeing this risen Lord rise up into the sky. How in the world can you doubt? The day of Pentecost, 
You've got people speaking in unknown tongues. You've got tongues of fire manifesting on people's heads. You can see it. You can hear it. You can experience it. And the presence of the Lord was there. But then there are some there that are doubting and mocking. So just the presence of the Lord does not guarantee that willful humans, many of whom are being inspired by the demonic, are going to doubt and resist. But we need those things. And that's what I ask for. It's almost like, and I recognize later, and I mentioned this earlier, what Solomon asked for. I don't know how to go out and come in. I know that we're here at this temple, Solomon would say, and it's supposed to be for the purpose of going out. That's the way he prayed, that from that temple, tabernacles would go out. Look at it for yourself. The temple was not supposed to be the be-all, end-all. It was to be the pattern. Look it up. And so, I feel like we're positioned for breakthrough. I know we are. And what I would ask God for, that our joy might be full to fulfill what he's called us to do as ordained and uh, chosen, is that he would open the doors, that he would scatter the enemy, but most importantly, that his presence, his undeniable presence would fill the place and touch the people that he sends us to. So that's what I itail for. And I ask that for you too. Because many of you are going to be going out. Sometimes as part of a team that I'm on Sometimes as part of a team that you're leading or you're part of a team that are saints going to an appointed place that God has ordained. Whatever you ask for, the Father, in Jesus' name, he will give it you. That the Father might be glorified, that his work from the foundation of the world would be manifested, that there would be fruit something that arises from that, that is lasting, and that the joy may be full. So that's my story. I hope you've studied this scripture. I hope your Bible program served you well. I speak this rhema of a logos out to you. I bless the dear sister who, who instigated that. And I, I warn you, you know, I'm not looking, I don't ever have to look for somebody else to suggest what I teach. She certainly didn't say, make this part of Wednesday Night Live. But when, when God does something and you know that it's directly to you, don't let it fly by. Act on it. And so I release this blessing to all of you. Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget this coming Wednesday, Saturday is First Saturday Prayer. The directive should have been sent to you. And uh, let's pray together. Until next time, God bless you. And goodbye.